I'm John Perry. I'm Ted Cupper. And this is Constellation, making the graphic novel. Join us as we build an original science fiction world. All right, everybody, welcome back to Constellation. Uh, how are you doing, Ted? I am good. How are you doing, John? Good. Why don't we kick off today's media club by very quickly having you give your any final impressions of Upload. I know we I slammed talked it to it. death. Yeah. But you finished it, right? Yeah, I fi- I just had to do the last 3 in a row because um I knew I'd never come back to it if I turned away. It's such a um missed opportunity to me. Just the whole world seems to have no rules and you you know, I mean, in reference to the thing we've been talking about, you can't make a single meaningful prediction about it. It's everything feels like a total gotcha. Meaning that the rules aren't consistent enough to like give the audience a chance to guess what how things might play out exactly yeah like they just they tell you oh if you go through the upload you're gonna lose your memories and then he acts like that and then in the next scene he's like oh no that didn't really happen you know it's i didn't lose my memories and it's never explained you know and that's just one example of like a thousand i could come up with in in so many of the different uh, episodes well there's that whole long sequence too where they treat it like there's only one copy of him in the world on like a single drive well, that's a that's a, a a conceit they're doing the whole time, right? Or and they yeah. when they when the guy gets downloaded, which I mean, you knew the head explosion was going to happen. I mean, that was obvious, and I even thought that was kind of funny in an obvious way. But then he would clearly not be dead. There'd just be another copy of him from seconds ago. I mean, backups would be. You a mean thing. the head explosion from episode one? Yeah, the earlier uh, yes, episode yeah. one. Yeah. So I mean, when they when they explained the downloads weren't possible, right? Because they wanted to have a world where you could get uploaded but not downloaded, and I understand dramatically why that makes sense. And I would probably have actually made the same decision. I just would have made a less stupid <laughs> way of showing it, you know. And I just, I, in general, just the whole thing felt like uh, everything was chosen for the joke, and not for any level of consistency, um, and really not even for very much character most of the time which is usually i think excusable in a way that just like for a cheap joke isn't um and i I don't know man i mean and then okay and then the way they ended it was uh that he he you know he gets trapped in there with his um with his annoying girlfriend so they take the the most annoying part of the story and they make it a permanent fixture going into season two so it's just i don't know man it it's such a it's so disappointing to me because like it has so many technologies in it that are like similar to things we envisioned for let go um but they're just so poorly used like in some cases they're i feel like they're the exact thing that we talked about hey let's avoid doing this obvious cliche (laughs) and then they they just went and did it and it just seems like such a waste of money and of um mind space because now that's the show that you know um that's been made about this and i don't know i just think it uh it's such a disaster (laughs) yeah yeah and i thought the last episode was just the worst from like i mean i'd I'd already written it off all the technical problems uh but just in terms of the way it wrapped up the whole noir plot line that was happening was just so bumbling and boring (laughs) well and it left the the central mystery still unsolved right so you still don't know why he died or who killed him all you know is that like you shouldn't have liked this character all along and we tricked you by erasing his worst memory so 
now you know he's actually a bad person and all of the time that you may have spent liking this character which to be honest i never liked him very much but you know they act like you do <laughs> they are they're now saying like haha we take it back he's actually a jerk <laughs> it's so bizarre yeah that that revelation didn't feel like that potent to me really uh but i don't know anyways maybe we shouldn't waste any more words on it because uh yeah uh, there's a new show that we're going to not talk about in detail today uh, yeah. called Devs. And this show actually started airing before Upload, I think. We're just a little late to this party. I've well, been hearing it for a couple of um, months now. Um, but it's on Hulu and, you know, it just doesn't get the kind of um, <laughs> media saturation that uh, a big Amazon or Netflix show gets. Yeah, and so this devs show, I've seen one full episode. You've seen maybe half of. Yeah, I'm like halfway through the pilot. I literally had to put it down to go and record this. Um, but I was really enjoying what I was watching, and we should say this show is created by uh, Alex Garland, who listeners will know from uh, Ex Machina and Annihilation. He also wrote The Beach. Um, so that's who the creator of the show is, and the tone of it definitely feels like that Annihilation Ex Machina tone. Yeah, it does. It feels really familiar to that. And I liked the first episode a lot. And it is a good palate cleanser after upload because, you know, you can tell Alex does some research before he writes these things. Yeah, he seems uh, to have some idea of how technology works, which is nice. <laughs> yeah, uh, and it's definitely felt the most of his work like, like Ex Machina. And it already has kind of fixed for me one of the criticisms we had of X Machina back in the day, which is that it has that uh, sort of lone inventor trope, right? Which is which is never that plausible, you know, that they they these groundbreaking technologies are invented by some lone genius in his basement because that so rarely happens, uh, especially these days, right? I mean, uh, but uh, this has like you know has the crazy invention which we. You still don't really know what it is after episode one, but it's happening in the context of a, you know, Google-like San Francisco tech company. It just makes more sense. Right, logically. right, yeah. That's something we've talked about wanting to see for a while is sci-fi set at a Google-type place, since that's a place in the real world that's actively trying to create sci-fi-type tech. And uh, yeah, this seems to have some kind of a quantum supercomputer embedded in a corporate campus in Palo Alto or something like that. I mean, I don't know. I've only watched 30 minutes of it, but that's what it, I've gathered so far. And uh, that was very exciting to me. And there's kind of like a a founder character. And then there's these like devs, these smart people who are working on the project in some capacity. Again, we don't really know yet exactly how, but that is a very compelling setup to me. And I'm surprised it hasn't been used more. Um yeah, because if you're going to have the, the crazy invention, it yeah, either it's going to happen at one of these tech companies or it's going to happen in, you know, a government office somewhere. Uh, I mean, those are your most likely places. Um, yeah, and, and maybe a university the, or a military, but yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. yeah, it's just a little, it's a little maybe harder to write the whole like institutional stuff surrounding that. But this does like yeah. a really good job of sort of setting the scene in a way that feels like very authentically San Francisco. Yeah. Uh, you know, yeah. together with it's got with tech the, like, bros, sort of, it's got homeless people, it's got yeah, it's uh, got the dystopian. You know, it, uh, San Francisco is very dystopian these days. It's very much just like intense, like you know, wealth disparity, yeah. like 
extreme, in, in the most extreme visceral most way. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, it sort of captures that, and it and and it doesn't um, hold your hand. It like drops you right into like technical conversations that are not stupid. Yeah, they're um, discussing cryptographic strategy. Uh, in the in like over breakfast, right? Like RSA yeah. versus uh, some other cryptographic strategy. I liked that. So, anyways, it could uh, it could take a turn for the worse. Uh, we're going to talk about it more, but uh, if our listeners haven't already watched it, now's your uh, now's your cue to do so if you want to follow along because uh, this is definitely our kind of show. Yeah, get that Hulu free trial, man. It seems like worth it to to go through this. I actually I should check. I don't know if the whole season's out yet. I think they were dra- dribbing and drabbing out, but I suspect by the time y'all hear this, it will be out. Um, I'll I'll look up the exact date and we'll post that somewhere. Yeah, well, um, we're going to watch more before next episode, whether we've finished it or not. Yeah, I'm not sure if that's possible, but we'll, we'll watch some more. Um, that's it for Media Club? Yeah, that, I think that, well, I, I want to talk a little bit about uh, Ted Chang, but I'm going to work that in later. So Yeah, uh, we'll, we'll leave let, that for later. Let's get into uh, our story, Constellation. Uh, I, well, you and I had a conversation offline recently um, where we sort of hammered out a few things. Um, and I'm kind of, I'm eager to try to crystallize, I guess, sort of the hard science rules of this world, uh, as quickly as we can at this point, maybe get them to some kind of at least like semi-complete rough draft version so we can move on to the more like social science-y layer. Um, right, right. Yeah. And so, yeah, we had a bit of a pre-talk when there's some things that we want to, that we want to share and, uh, some opinions that I have that I have to share with you and you know we'll see um but uh I think last time we did an episode we were talking a lot about uh kids in this world right and and birth right so I I feel like we should sort of pick up there because we left off that episode with some questions right um one was about the well really about the age of majority was the big question uh Right, right. So, I mean, we basically came to the conclusion that you're going to have to be able to have kids in this world or that's just going to be too big a cost for some people. And then if that's true and individuals are so powerful uh, as far as they can ask their exec to bring them to other worlds and do all kinds of things with them, then how does that power get given over to a kid? Because you don't want a kid like accidentally saying some gobbledygook and then being banished forever to their own solitary kingdom where no one can ever find them. Uh, that would be horrible. So <laughs> how do we architect it such that, um, you know, that's rare or impossible and uh, uh, people can get used to the new rules? Um, and, you know, I mean, we're trying to come up with a simple rule too, something that doesn't involve the universe having to make a lot of value judgments, but can be kind of a, a, um, evaluated simply from the ex- outside. Right, so, we didn't want a rule like at, at the age of 16 you gain control over your own keys or something. Right. Because that feels like that should be a cultural decision, not uh, something the simulators bake in. Yeah, like even though it would be possible for the simulator to know if you're 16, it just feels like too legible and literal for like a simulation that was built by like aliens or advanced AI or something sort of non-humanish um, to... So it's like a big clue. If we if we were to put that in, we'd be putting a huge clue in that this was made by people like people, 
you know, which I don't think we want to do. I think we want to leave it more ambiguous than that. So um, what we were talking about is what if the kids are born with full rights mm-hmm. and um, they do basically have the ability to like say childish gobbledygook that could get them in trouble. But uh, what is just the standard cultural practice that arises from this, from the knowledge that that's the fact is that uh, parents essentially like hack their kids when they first start to talk, they get them to um, give over some crucial rights to the parent um, by just like teaching the kid to say yes or something, some by some simple hack. And they also, you know, drill the go home command into the kid's brain so that, you know, no matter what the kid accidentally does, they can easily get home. Uh, and then some, you know, some critical uh, permission, such as the ability to locate them, is retained by the parents from a young age. And then it's also cultural practice to give those rights up at some point, like at 18 or whatever the cultural norm is in that person's part of the constellation. So, so let me so let me flesh this out a little bit. Okay. Um, so uh, the the kids they're they're born with full rights, but they're of like like regular kids they can't speak, right? So they're they're nonverbal at least when they when they first are born. Right. Um, so they so can't so really do anything with the exec. Crying doesn't make the exec like again. It doesn't interpret their wishes. It doesn't like make the exec manifest milk or something just because the baby's crying. Right. So it's gonna take you know a little bit of time before they can say any words right so you got you've got some time to work with right yeah um and basically you're going to want to you know like you mentioned drill in like you know whatever the command is for go home right that's like you know the kind of thing you tell your kid like you know don't run into the road right it's the kind of thing you just like very fervently tell them over and over again to make sure right. they never do it you know don't right. go near the pool right, right. Like whatever it is that's extremely dangerous for a child to do. So you say like, you know, if you, you know, uh, if you like don't, first of all, say certain things, but if you do and you get lost, like here's what you say to get home. Or just and like if you the, ever find yourself lost, you say go yeah. home. If you're ever it's scared, like, don't, you say go home. And I guess it's, it's like don't talk to strangers right. or, you know, uh, you know, wh- whatever it is that you, you get told as a kid. Right. Um, but I think, and then, yeah, tricking them to, with the contracts, I think the way that would work, right, because... I guess when the kid is born, they probably get given a homeworld, right? I guess, because that's well, sort of full. Well, we were saying homeworld is a setting. So there's two options here. And I, I was thinking about this too. It could be that they're given a homeworld, or it could be that their parent's homeworld is their homeworld until they set another one. And they can create one at any time, right? So once they can use language, they could create a homeworld and set that as their homeworld. But Right, so that would be the main thing. Well, because... It, they're sort of at the. Uh, this solves part of our problem, doesn't it? If it's if their homeworld defaults to the one they're born in, I think because it would. That, it seems like it would. Because if that is a world uh, administered by one of the parents, doesn't then... have to be. It's just it doesn't a, have to be just a world that's inhabited by the parents. That's the only thing it would have to be. I, I correct, but let's say you're a conscientious parent that want to do this in the safest way possible, right? Uh, you you give birth in your own home world, right? You might you create to... a nursery world, or you might give birth in your own family world that you intend for your kids to all use as their childhood home worlds. So I guess the thing is that, like, what's is 
Because normally there's an entrance contract that gets signed, and in this case there wouldn't be one because the entrance is birth, right? So, well, but is there an entrance contract for opening your eyes when you were when the transition happened? That's similarly, there's no contract there, right? You just wake up. Well, there's the defaults are a kind of contract that no one right. got to agree to. So right? it's the same it's thing just... if you're a kid. You don't you get your first set of defaults, which is essentially the universal defaults, but the homeworld is set to wherever your parents decide to birth you. And other than that, it's the universal defaults. You can experience a small amount of pain and no death, et cetera, et cetera. Um, but right, but let's say everyone in that particular world, yeah, right, uh, is not able to easily eject. Right, like like example we talked about before is like you can't just say eject on this. You got to go to a portal, right? Does that now apply to the child that's born in that world? Because if it does, it it solves your problem. Right, seems like it would. Yeah. Now, but the kid never agreed to anything, so it's more like maybe just maybe that's a setting of the world itself is like entities born in this world are auto enrolled in some set of some contract. And it seems like uh, yeah, it seems like that should be just the behavior, like. Whatever world you're in, you're auto-enrolled in the contract. The contract itself can be as limiting or not limiting as it wants. Right, but there's not a single contract, right? Because different people get offered different ones. The admin can... can offer different contracts to different people, right? So, But there's a standard contract, right? There's like some kind of a standard entry, and then... I mean, there's the one you offer most often. Yeah. But I mean, there might be one that is like set up to be the standard one for things that are born. Uh, um, which would be very similar maybe to the standard one you offer people that arrive. Right. Right. Um, so yeah, I, why in a way actually be different, I'm just trying to imagine what, what's a situation where you'd want that to be different. Why, why not just say the standard arrival and the standard birth default contract are the same and that it just takes admin override to do something different for anyone. Well, yeah, I guess or... you could just call it the default contract and then everything else is like specially prepared. Yeah. Uh, to deviate. I mean, that's fine. I mean, that's sort of like uh, not, it's not super important how that works, but, mm-hmm. uh, but yeah, actually this is now becoming different than where we started because if you do that, then this allows parents to engineer total control over their parents by just setting up a world that gives them total control. Right. And then you having can be born birth, into a world there. that basically your parent is God of and that you have not as many rights over. And then you essentially the parent has to give you those rights back, huh. um, if, okay. if if we architect it like this. And I think again, it has to do with what's the cultural norm because that can be possible but looked down upon. Um, and if the practice is more like, well, everyone hacks their kid to prevent them from setting their death button on, uh, or their locator beacon off, let's say, I'm just making those up, but let's say those are the two things that everyone is very commonly uh, fucking with with their kids, but but nobody micro, you know, nobody does other things, and if you do other things you're looked down upon, um, then maybe that's the norm, and, you know, when the kid turns 18, you throw them a party and you give them back uh, those rights, and you tell them, all right, I hope you have learned, and, you know, and then at that point they're their own person, um, but the, if you did nothing, they would be able to obviously travel the universe, um, as soon as they could speak. Uh, so it still preserves the, like, neutrality of the universe here, which I think we want to do. Yeah, it does. It, it, it's an elegant solution that, like, 
puts it all in the people's hands, it does make possible a certain kind of like, like onerous slavery scenario that I was sort of trying to not have, but now we've created it. Yeah. Well, you can't have. There's a way around it, though. I mean, um, how do you give parents? I mean, other than having an external authority that expires their control in one way or another, how would you give parents enough control to raise children safely while not giving them enough to capture them? Um, I mean, this is, I guess, an age old problem that we're just sort of running into, but yeah, how do you do that? I mean, I mean, I, I don't know a way to do thread that needle. Exactly. It just seems like to me, the alternative to what we just laid out, um, I mean, the key thing here is that the child's home world is automatically set to the world they're born in. If their home world is simply like, because everyone who enters the uh, the simulation at the very beginning is sort of gifted a home world, right? That they start in. So we could imagine that the child is just gifted in a home world uh, that is separate from the world they're born in. Yeah, but um, how does the child visit that world? Um, and then either return to parents or allow the parents to, to visit that world. So your home world is just, uh, the place that you return to by default when you eject, right? Right. And don't specify a destination. Right. Um, that's all it really is. Um, so if the child is born into world X, their home world is world Y, um, I guess they still wouldn't necessarily be able to get back to their home world, right? Because they... They'd have to be able to speak. They, they, well, they have to... Not only do they have to be able to speak, they have to have the right in the world that they're currently in... To leave. To eject, right? Which we've already established is not always given. Right. Um, so unless this overrides that... Unless they're gifted, like... Yeah. I guess the only... Maybe that's not coherent then. I guess the only other thing you could say is that they were... The birth contract is like not default to the standard contract of the world you're in and it instead defaults to something more generous right uh the the birth process could force the parents to relocate to like a newly created world that then becomes the baby's home world and maybe it has the same defaults as like the initial worlds that were given to people um but the baby is in charge of it. And since the baby can't speak, none of those defaults can be changed until the baby can speak and change them. And the parents are just granted uh, visiting access by default, by, by virtue of being the parents or something. Um, I guess. I mean, I'm just trying to come up with a way that it could yeah, be. Yeah, it feels. Cohesive. it all feels worse, though. It feels like it's more consistent with our world to do the what we were saying previously. Right? I agree. Yeah, no, I, I think, I, I think it's just better to have, um, one of the choices that parents can make about their kids. And this is just different from the way that the transition people came in, um, is that they can choose what world they're born on, including making a special crib world to, uh, which I think plenty of people would do to have, you know, the baby, um, in a in environment they could completely control and then they can, you know, move, uh, at some point. Um, yeah. So this is not the outcome I thought we, or this is not what I thought we were going to say, but this is, I think this is better. So this does, I mean, we just have to, I think then live with the fact that you could have some really awful parents that like keep a tight yoke on their 
kids forever. Um, right. And the only way to like free those kids, like let's say there was a, you know, abusive farm planet or like the farmer father was making all his kids work in the fields. Um, the only way you could convince him to let them or like the only way to get them out would be to convince him to let them go, which that's dramatically interesting potentially, you know? Sure. You could have like an organization in this world that's like, you know, for the rights of children and like it goes around, uh, trying to locate like children that are trapped this way and like give them the ability to opt out. Right. Um, and like try to convince their parents to give them back the keys to their own life, you know, um, and make appeals to how things were for them or how the structure of the constellation is and how it, you know, proves that this is the way, what they're, well, what they're, what they should do, you know? Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's interesting. Cause like, that's a tough persuasion job. Um, because yeah, let's say I go to, <laughs> I mean, this farm planet is weird. Cause obviously there's like no need to farm, but let's say that's somebody's like, you know, you know, fantasy they always had is to just sort of live like this pastoral lifestyle on a farm, you know? Uh, so that, that's the fantasy world they've recreated and they wanted to have kids. Cause that's a, you know, a thing that you do when you're living on a farm. Uh, and, uh, they've got all these farm hands that can't leave. So then let's say someone, you know, working for this child rights organization, is able to pop into that world, which already it's going to be tough to even get access to that world, right? If the mm-hmm. farmer wants to be left alone. Um, and then what are they going to be able to offer this farmer? I mean, they could try to persuade them, but it's like, I mean, you know, is the farmer going to be interested in in any of these like tips or keys or things, right? Uh, is that going to be useful when the farmer already is sort of like living out their own fantasy? Mm-hmm. I guess... I guess what might be useful is like more company, right? Because we've established that the AIs are kind of limited. Um, or knowledge, right? Maybe some sort of knowledge about how to like uh, change defaults, you know, or depending on how hard we make it to like, you know, hack the exec to do certain things, right? Um, I guess you could say to the farmer, you know, we know how to uh, like some commands that'll allow you to do X, Y, and Z that you don't know about or something. Um, but yeah, it's, it's, it's unclear how you would persuade this person like hell bent on their own fantasy that's like trapping their kids <laughs> to like, let them go. <laughs> but it's an interesting problem. Yeah. Well, you'd have to find a way of appealing to their values. You know, I mean, you find out what is, uh, what, what, what values they have and try to convince them that they're, their children, yeah. um, you know, I guess you just have to, have to be all old fashioned, just persuasion. Yeah. Well, and that's, I think, what's sort of fun about this concept if everybody has wild serial power and not just one person does, like in The Matrix, because you really do have to convince people with, yeah, persuasion, with ideas, um, since, I mean, obviously you can you can trick people uh, by trapping them in, in rule prisons, and we're going to do some of that, too. But uh, I think those, those two things uh, sort of tricking people and convincing them are very dramatically potent and really exciting and are often uh, precluded by, you know, who can fly or who can punch the hardest or something, you know, which is just less interesting in, uh, um, in other stories that have um, this level of surreality and control over the world and stuff. So I think it'll be exciting to try to do a story where we can have that, but also 
where the ideas and the rules are are more powerful. Here, I I just thought of a uh, maybe something that would work on this farmer, because okay. and, which I which and also I can tie this in because I've I've finally uh, uh, ha- have finished uh, well almost I've almost finished Watchmen. I have like half an ep- uh, finale left to watch. Okay, but uh, you had brought up uh, the the world that you know Adrian Veidt is confined to, which is sort of a simulation world, right? So, like, sort of, yeah. With like wonky AIs, right? Right. Um. So in that situation, uh, it gets revealed at some point that his like his sort of enemy in this like simulated world is one that he's sort of empowered to be his enemy, right? To keep him interested. Do you remember that? Um. Yes. Okay. Uh, I guess the reason I bring it up is like if you are, let's say, uh, you know. A couple, right? You know, two farmers, uh, and you live alone on this world with your kids, right? The one thing you're lacking is like other interesting people to be adversaries or play characters in your town that are interesting, right? Mm-hmm. So you could imagine that being an offer you would make to this farmer if you wanted him to free his kids is that, you know, for you know, some length of time uh, we'll sign a contract and like some of our volunteers will play roles for you, right? In your world that can't be easily or well fulfilled by AIs. You see what I'm saying? Yeah. Yeah. Um, so you're hiring actors. Yeah. In other words, like he, you, you get, you get, uh, you know, two years of like great acting, right? Uh-huh. That's going to make your fantasy much better. Sure. Right. Then it would be with the sort of like AIs that are capped. Um, but in exchange, at the end of that, you've got to release, uh, you know, release your children. <laughs> and and may, maybe, I don't know, maybe the, the farmer is just so, so bored at this point that like he agrees to that. Right. Right. Yeah. Um, that's interesting. I mean, that is one thing you could do. I don't know. That's just like I'm trying to think of what you could offer this person, and like that is one of our scarcities here. Uh, is is uh, yeah, human, is human level interaction, human level intelligence, or whatever is, is yeah is still somewhat scarce in this world. And since human beings are notoriously, um, you know, self directed, uh, the idea that you could control one um, by you know hiring them, you know, like uh, like to be an actor or to be a your butler or whatever it is that you want them to be. Um, that that makes sense that you could get uh that's something you could barter you know i mean it's labor it's a kind of labor there is still some labor that would need to be done if we're limiting how good the ais are right well actually i think like i mean we didn't discuss that when we were discussing economics before but i mean i think that's a natural byproduct of our of our ai limitations right is that this this would be like a pretty big part of the economy would be like, you know, renting out your this type of labor, um, playing roles. Right? Like that would be a, that would be a big deal, actually. Like maybe I mean maybe we should come back to that and flesh that out more, but that feels like something we maybe overlooked. Yeah, I think it would yeah, it'd be affected by a few different things, including the norms around playing roles and how, you know, uh how people saw someone who does that. Um, but yeah, that might be a way for people who don't have a lot of resources to, uh, to get some resources. I guess it also depends on what it is 
that people want as resources, right? Because they're mostly struggling for status rather than for any kind of material resource. So I, this would be bigger if it resulted in higher status, but if it doesn't result in higher status, um, then... But, you know, there's other things. I mean, I mean there's, there's activism. Like, maybe you believe that the children should be set free, so you're willing to do this because, you know, it's, it's altruistic activism. Uh, that's another reason you might do it. But, um, yeah, I'm just... I guess I'm, I'm, I'm wondering about the supply side. How many people are going to want to work as actors? Um, well, let's give another scenario, right? Yeah. Like, let's say uh, someone who's like aimless and lacking purpose in this world, right? Which you imagine might be kind of common. Sure. And uh, common there's one in this of, world. Yeah. And there's one of these like uh, religion based worlds that we've talked about um, that adheres to certain rules. Everybody goes in, signs a contract. Um, but it's exclusive, right? You know, but it's like it's uh, or or maybe it's not religious. I mean, maybe it's just a cool, fun club, whatever it is, right? We've talked about this idea of like you know, sort of exclusive communities. Sure. Like, if you want to join the exclusive community, you got to first like you know serve your time. <laughs> you know, being like a uh, you know an actor in some other like world fantasy for a couple years to like earn your entrance. Well, okay, but what I'm just saying, what are you earning? Because if acting as someone else in another fantasy is itself a high status thing, then I could see them saying, oh, go do that. And when a lot of people are, you know, fans of your, of your fantasy acting, then we'll let you in or something like that. But, um, if it's not a high status thing, if it's more of like a late, you know, menial labor kind of thing that's looked down upon, then wouldn't having acted like basically count against you for entrance? Well, into the no, no. No, not, I mean, not necessarily. I mean, maybe. I mean, if it's, it's, like, if I'm it's, just saying you're not getting anything specific for it. It's not like they're paying you money. So, like, what is the reason for wanting to do it? I guess is what I'm getting at. Like, I understand in your scenario of like, well, let's you know, say it's all the same. trapped and we're trying to offer this guy something that's of value to him. But, but, um, let's say it's all the same world, right? Let's say there's, uh, there's like, you know, cool club world, right? Okay. Uh, and in order to make Cool Club World more interesting, there are actors in this world that are not literally part of the club. They're more like servants and, or butlers or like the kinds of people uh, right, right, at, right. A, at a theme park that play a role in a costume. I mean, that's really what I'm thinking about. Okay, like, so you know, you're talking about like a hazing model for a fraternity kind of thing. Like the, the pledges are all sort of like treated poorly and yes. need to be servants or something. And that's, that's how right. they... Uh, you know, you graduate from that and then you become a full member and then a new class of people is allowed in uh, who are who become your servants. That's right. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. That makes sense to me within a closed system. Yeah. yeah. And but so, I don't even think it has to be a closed system if you've got, uh, you know, a club that's, you know, uh, spans multiple worlds. Right. You've got a coalition of people that share um, keys to multiple worlds like with each other, you know, that are part of a larger you know, cross world consortium, right. And have shared interests, you know, okay. You help my friend over there in that world and like, you know, play a part for him for a while. Uh, and that, uh, right. You know, but makes that's still a more... closed system. It's just a larger closed system. So it's sure. like, there are 15 worlds where you can do your acting and then 15 worlds yeah. where you can join as a full member at the end of it. And you know, you have your choice yeah. or there's 
a tier based on how good you do or something like that. I mean, sure, all that makes sense to me. I can I can imagine that. But it's not like you act and you get money and then you trade that money to a totally different party. It's a barter that I'm talking about, fundamentally. Right, right. It would have when to be say- some kind of a barter inside a system of some size. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. But, uh, which is a great transition, actually, because we did want to talk about the possibility of actual money, right? Because uh, it is possible to build a monetary system on this sort of many worlds platform we're creating, potentially. Well, right. And there's more than one way to build money system or systems, right? Because, um, I mean, the world idea starts, I mean, in our world, we have different money, like different denominations in each country. So we have differences in the money system, literally by a, on a national level. Um, but we also have like a global money system because we do have a system of exchanging money that acts as a sort of super system. Um, and, and knits together, uh, to some extent, with some friction, the various denominations around the world. And so you could imagine that, you know, there could be a universe-level money system. There could be a money system that's built into your exec, that c- follows you everywhere, that, you know, you have the same money denomination no matter where you go, like kind of like in a video game. But I, I'm pretty sure we don't want to do that no i think that's it has the same problem that some of these other ideas we've had have which is that it it means that the designer of the universe built money in as a fundamental thing um on the other hand human beings who come from societies that have money would probably invent money (laughs) um if they were brought into this world so now the narrowest thing could be that each world invents money in its own way deals with it in its own way and that well, that's going to be the case, right? Because if you if you have 1999 world, yeah. uh, Earth world, yeah. then it, of course it's going to have money in it because 1999 Earth did. Right. There's no reason you can't do that. Right. And then some worlds, of course, could have no money. There could be communist world or whatever. Um, you don't necessarily have to have money. I mean, I guess you could make an argument that all worlds sort of evolve some form of money because that's like a human thing to do. Um, but I don't actually know if that's even 100% true. Um, I don't know. We could look into that. Anyway, I it's it's tempting to just say that money is like just completely local, um, but there but, would be yeah. there would be desire for a constellation wide money system, and one could be built on top of the platform, like you're saying. So one way that that could happen, I, and there's more than one way it could happen, but one way that it could happen that I could imagine is somebody or somebody's could create a money world, which is just like a world where they hold the database of everyone's money and all transactions could sort of take place on this world, uh, kind of like the way that we now like log into a secure credit card server or something or PayPal server in order to do our transactions. So it was like everyone would literally like teleport to money world um, for a very short amount of time do their transaction and then teleport back to wherever they were going uh, or wherever they come from kind of thing. Um, And that might be a way to like have money, but have it be a fully human invention. Yeah. And I think, uh, 
Yeah, because it, it would just be, it would all come down to the trust in that money world, right? And like the buy-in, you know? Like, so somebody would own the money world and they could just steal all the world's current currency if they wanted to, right? Right. Or, or, or you know, do any number of things. But, uh, you know, in order to keep the system going, everybody has to sort of have a certain level of trust in it. It has to reach a certain level of adoption. And if everyone just sort of agrees... um and and the world itself is is trusted in terms of like you know keeping the accounts sorted and and proper you know mm-hmm. uh, maybe he's guaranteeing certain things like giving uh, you know uh, maybe it even like backs things right you know like refunds people you know in the case of like fraud or something um, you know the way credit cards can sometimes work uh, you know there there might be other features that you know that make people like feel invested enough to trust it. Um, and so, like, yeah, that would allow you to create a kind of money. Now, whether you have to teleport there every time, like, if I want to pay you, I mean, it, honestly, I can do it instantaneously, right? I just, like, teleport in, uh, you know, send money to your account and then, like, teleport out. Um, I do think there would be maybe automated... Well, this is going to get to our conversation later about interworld communication, but there might be a way to do it without literally teleporting in. Although right. I do like I do like the visual of that, right? You know, I mean, that would be you know you show up like at a thing that's sort of like a bank, right? So right. Like, or a little bit like an ATM kiosk, I was sort of imagining, yeah. or like yeah, or like a bank teller, and you just uh, you instantly show up there along with the person you're selling to or whatever. Uh, you both put your fingertips on the panel or whatever the visual representation of you saying yes is, and then the the money goes from your account to theirs. But they you, don't need to be there, right? Because back. Because the, the the accounts are persistent. Like, if I have an account on a money world, it exists there. Yeah, you don't, um, they it's don't not need going to be there anywhere. if you have something like their account number or something like that. You, I, right. I was just thinking that, like, you went to a store and you bought something and the seller was there and the buyer was there and you don't know anything about each other. And so, like, without any, you know, the way that right now I swipe a credit card and something happens inside a computer and I've paid for something. Similarly, you, like, both jump to this place, you press a button and somehow you've paid for the thing. You know, it's like, it could be set up to be very simple. Um, we had talked about uh, people being allowed potentially to have AIs assigned to them on various worlds. So one thing this world could do is it could allow visitors to set up like an account type AI that knows their name, knows their information and sort of like sits around and waits for instructions. And that could make this go even faster because they could just blip in for the fraction of a second it takes to share information with their ai and then the ai could go and do the work um well there wouldn't i don't think right so okay so well at the bare minimum before we get to these automated processes which i I do want to talk about yeah i mean i think at the bare minimum we all have accounts on this world yeah there's money sitting in them yeah. the world persists whether we're there or not yes and so, so if, if I want to pay yeah. you, all I have to do is go there, like you said, know your account number, yeah. deposit five, you know, constellation bucks or whatever, and then uh, and Starbucks. then leave. And the next time you check your balance at the money world, maybe you have to teleport to do that. Uh, then then you'll see that you've got five more bucks, right? I mean, I guess before you gave me a product, you'd want to confirm that you received it. I guess that's the reason maybe we'd both go there at the same time for confirmation. And the other thing is that. It would make a lot of sense to have a portion of the money world actually be a literal marketplace. Like Yeah, like a sort of stock market kind of environment. Or something. Yeah, or even yeah, just or even just like a free form marketplace where, you know, you could set up sort of virtual booths, right? 
Sure. Um, and, you know, sell, buy and sell and trade access to different worlds and different tips and stuff. I mean, it would make sense that those things would go hand in hand, right? Um, like, you could set up a marketplace elsewhere that then goes to the money world to make its transactions, but it would also make sense to marry those things. Yeah, that makes sense. Um, so, yeah. So, I guess the thing is that this makes a much more standard economy possible. Um, is right. it interesting for our story? I mean, there's no reason. I mean, is the prediction that this would happen? I think it would, given enough time, right? Well, I think the biggest reason why I'm fairly certain something like this would happen is because we are taking people f who remember this world and transitioning them in. And I feel like those people would just have a strong residual memory of money and there'd be a high likelihood that they would recreate it in some way on their own worlds very quickly. And then, um, having done that, it would, there would be natural pressure to go to, you know, universalize it. Um, and then, you know, there's, I guess, a question of whether anybody comes up with a good idea for how to do that. But, you know, let's just assume that they do, cause we got a lot of people in there. And, um, once that happens, then I think you would have money world or money worlds perhaps competing with each other. Uh, as we've seen with like um, cryptocurrencies, if you have a relatively easy way to make new currency ideas into something, um, then many people will try that and uh, there'll be a lot of competition. Um, but there'd also be significant first mover advantages to whoever got, you know, mindshare early. Yeah. Sort of Bitcoin network of effects. this world. Yeah. Um, so, yeah. So you might imagine that there's like a sort of dominant Bitcoin type thing and maybe it even has some flaws in its design like Bitcoin does, but it's just the thing that people use because it's the thing they've heard of and they have higher trust in it. And then there could be, you know, uh, a competing design that claims to be better in some way, works a different way. Uh, we could do some of the stuff we've talked about in the past with monetary design, like, you know, have a currency that expires or a currency that has very high inflation or has a basic um, income built into it or a currency that has a basic income built into it. Yeah. I mean, and a basic income is maybe less compelling in a world of material abundance, because if you can just like create apples out of thin air, you might not need money. Um, well, what, what that does is it's a, uh, it, it makes the money trend towards equality because if you keep right. increasing everyone's account, then the, uh, the, the ratio between people is shrinking. Over Especially time. if you're also, uh, uh, inflating away or um, or otherwise expiring some of the rich people's savings, uh, then that's right. Yeah, that would push toward more equality over the long term, which, you know, would have potentially interesting effects. I'm not sure what all those would be. Um, and then we, we want to show people competing for these... Uh, these resources that are still scarce... Um, and so the money would start to organize the resources, you know, just naturally. That's what the money would do. So it would, we would start to see more of the things that remain scarce, the, the status and the other things um, flowing toward the monetarily rich. Um, yeah. Well, and that's the thing that kind of gives me pause because there's something about the barter that feels very novel and interesting about this world. Yeah, not not uh, about the constellation, I should say, about the universe we're creating. Right. Um, and this trends more towards a standard economic model. 
So maybe the way we get the best of both is that, you know, it takes a while for this thing to get adopted and it wouldn't be universally adopted. I do think like there's not going to be that many currencies after a while. I mean, there's so little friction in this world. The network effects, what I think would quickly militate to one or two currencies that everyone uses. But, uh, I, I, you know, some people wouldn't use them. Obviously, like in our previous story about the farmer that we were discussing, like that guy's checked out, right? Like he, you might offer him money and be like, who cares about money world, <laughs> right? Like I don't. Right, I don't right, need, right. I, the, there would be way, many, many more people living outside the system of money if there was material abundance. I mean, that would be true on Earth too. So, like lots of people, if you could just snap your fingers and get a banana, would never work, right? I mean, you know, I might be one of them. <laughs> yeah, it'd be a lot more of a choice. To, yeah, I th- exactly. I think a lot more people would just opt out of money. So, right. we, you know, maybe the equilibrium is like, I don't know what percentage of people would have would end up using money, but, you know, maybe it's like 30% or something. I'm just throwing numbers out there. But Well, it's, it's similar maybe... to the uh, number of people who are in that striver economy that we were talking about, right? Because yeah. it's like... Uh, most people, I think, yeah, are going to check out of maybe all social interaction, or if they're not quite ready for that, they'll have, you know, some social interaction, but they'll be, you know, um, outside of this money system because they don't really need anything that they can't create with their imagination and their friends' imaginations. Um, but then there will be some subset of people who will still want um, all these sort of not uh, still scarce things and will compete with each other, and those people would be the ones most engaged in the money game. And it becomes a a status game of its own too, pretty quickly. So there's that as well. Just having the money and not even doing anything with it is of value. Of course. Yeah. Yeah. So it's not really what I envisioned. Uh, It makes this more of a standard economy in some ways. I mean, there's still massive differences, obviously. The total lack of material scarcity is still a huge deal. Um, But I think... I don't have any arguments against this. I think the only, I think if we wanted to deal with a truly pre money sort of barter system world, I think that could still exist in the first, you know, 20 years of history, say. Yeah, or even Um, longer. I mean, this could take a while because uh, even if it started in some corner of the constellation, it might take a long time to spread. Right. It, It would have like an exponential growth curve, but the beginning of that curve might be, might look pretty gradual, actually. Right. Right. So, like, between, like, year 20 and year 21, it goes from, like, you know, 5% to almost everybody uses it or something. But, like, you know, there might be a really slow growth in the beginning. Yeah. Um, Getting something like this off the ground, just explaining it to people, persuading people to use it. I feel like maybe the people that start this money world would have to, like, consolidate a lot of trust and a lot of other resources via barter and stuff before they could sort of get this off the ground. Well, this might be one of the worlds where the creator of the world like throws away the keys. And that might be one of the ways that you gain trust, right? If you're like a Satoshi Nakamoto of the constellation and you've made like Bitcoin planet, maybe the way that you prove to everybody that, you know, you're not an evil genius um, waiting to steal all their money is by like publicly and visibly uh, renouncing control of it. And so now it's just like a system that's going to go forever. Um, and that could become a problem later if it needs governance that then like can't be administered because no one has the authority. (laughs) Actually, that starts to sound a lot like Bitcoin. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's definitely like one way like things could go. And I mean, that's one way you could get trust. I mean, it's not the only way there's other, other things you could do, of course. 
I mean, certainly you would might throw away uh, the keys to do certain things like eject people from the money system for any reason would be one you'd give up immediately. It'd be like, well, we can only, you know, uh, like cancel accounts, like given a bunch of prerequisite, you know, requirements, right? You know, a certain sort of a bill of rights for people that have accounts there, uh, I feel like would be enshrined at the very least, right? Well, in a way a, a that the, could not be changed. Contracts and no admin would be sort of very trustable in the sense that it will always act the way it's programmed to act, and no one will go in and change it without your knowledge. Right, but I'm saying there could still be an admin that just doesn't have the right to interfere with certain things. Yeah, right? you could. Still it might be have... harder to prove that to people, but yeah, that makes sense. Yeah. Um. So that makes sense. I think. I think that we will have that. Um. I think it might make a lot of sense in our comic to, you know, have maybe two. I mean, I think we're going to want to do flashbacks, right? I think we're going to want to, like, we want to start, you know, 50 to 100 years into this thing. Hmm. So there's like a mature culture. But I think we're going to want to, you know, zip back for short little stories, you know? Well, I'm I agree with you that I think it's cool to fill in the time between the transition and whenever the now is of the story. Um I guess literal flashbacks I'm not totally sure about. I wonder whether But what's a literal flashback versus what I don't Like a literal the flashback means like a character is remembering something and then the story shows No, 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 no. I don't mean that. I, I don't mean any of the baggage with that. So I mean showing the past. Back. But what what would uh, maybe be more interesting to me is either in-world media storytelling inside the world about what happened Yeah, yeah, in the that's past. that's what I meant by flashback. I did not mean like the literal, like, like in I Watchmen, remember. Like in Watchmen, they use yeah. the, the Ryan Murphy TV show about yeah, that's what, I'm, that's what, what, what I'm talking in the about. comics that's to what tell I'm you what about. happened in the comics uh, if you hadn't read them recently. Um, or... Uh, you know, we talked about uh, the autobiography and the Watchmen comic, like stuff like that, I think would be cool to sort of fill some of that in. Char- two characters rem- reminiscing about, you know, how it was for them when they woke up. That sort of thing is fine. Um, but I. That's I, what I meant. Yeah, that's yeah, what I meant. Yeah. So I think that's uh, cool. I think we should definitely weave the past of the world in to the, uh, to the story. Um, yeah. I think the one thing we do want to like be careful of is I don't, you know, we want to stay away from like the leftovers. We don't really want it to be about those first however many days or weeks, like after everyone woke up when they were figuring out where everyone was and, you know, why they were there. And, you know, what we want to be, we want to try to start this story when they're past those questions. We can still recall that, but, um, to me, well, those are going to be like formative memories, the way that, like, you know, a childhood memory. Yeah, or is like nine eleven or something is for us. <laughs> yeah, so that's. Yeah. I mean, like, whatever you happened in your first few days is going to be, as well as what you were doing in the real world before, is going to be relevant uh, to characters and yeah. and to plot. But it's yeah, it's not like the. I mean, there's the reason I use the term flashback is not because to kind of you know bring up the cheesy thing of like. We going back, you know, in someone's head. Sure, like they do. It was more to say, like the the implication that there is kind of a present 
that we have decided on as authors. Yeah. That is more or less like the privileged time period yeah. that our major A stories are happening in. Yeah. And that then we show stuff and dramatize stuff that happened earlier. Um, and I don't think, you know, I think it, in a comic book form, I think sometimes that can be fully dramatized. It doesn't, I mean, interworld media is one way to do that, but I think it's also okay to just show what happened. Yeah. I guess what I'm maybe wary of is, um, simply dramatizing something that happened 50 years earlier without any frame, I guess, like, um, like the way Westworld has you know, season one has just two time periods and they literally just cut between them without even telling you at all. So, uh, you have no idea when you're, yeah, I have no interest in confusing people. Uh, about. But I mean, the confusion aside, even if they said 30 years earlier, 30 years later, 30 years earlier, 30 years later, I still think like, um, to me, I'd like to privilege a time period, pick whatever time period we find most interesting and then any view of the past should be with the point of view of that time period. So whether it's in-world media or characters discussing something or um, uh, some other way of describing it, you know, I, I don't think I want to just cut to 50 years earlier and like show a character that we've seen before waking up for the first time, you know, like I would, I'd be wary of that, I guess. Because I just feel like when you're already choosing a far future time period to then also have it be not unified and have like another time period that's significantly different, but is also not our world feel, I don't know. It feels, it feels hard to pull off without it being confusing or cheesy, I guess. Um, well, I, like I said, I have no interest in it being confusing what time period you're in or hard cutting. So, right. yeah, I, we're in agreement there. Yeah. But yeah, um, I definitely think we should bring the past into the present. I just think we should do it from the sort of like cultural perspective of the present. Like people are looking back on these things from the now of the story and their point of view of it is sort of colored by wherever they ended up. Sure. Know? Let's say someone, uh, you know interviews uh you know the creator of the money world yeah and they tell them you know they talk about how they how they you know put this thing together right and got a bunch of people to buy in and start using it yeah um i think uh while he's you know answering that interview question i mean i think we can literally show that happen uh anyways right i mean i think like i'd like to see the visuals of that uh, yeah, like he's narrating it and then we cut back. I mean, I, yeah. I, yeah, I guess, I mean, that's like a very traditional flashback of the kind that I guess I am not sure I want to see. <laughs> I guess that's sort of, maybe we have a disagreement there because I, 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 to me, um, I'd rather just see him get interviewed about it and he tells a story and, you know, he can illustrate the story because he can create animations with his mind or whatever, right? I mean, we can have him illustrate in whatever way, but it's, like, still fully colored from his point of view now. Like, he's lying about it in some way, or he's embellishing Well, it would be fully role, colored in or, the narrated version as well, right? I mean, it's still yeah. subjective. You still don't know that it's still what he's saying happened. So, right. right. So, I guess that's what I'm, like, kind of worried about is, like, if he's narrating it and he's an unreliable narrator and then we, as the comic book, are showing what he's narrating, 
you know, um, then we're not showing objective reality. We are now showing what he is telling someone. We're showing someone else's imagination based on what he's saying. And I think that gets confusing. I mean, I, I, I'm not sure that that's really the best way to do this when we're already dealing with something so heady. Um, I think that that's fine when you're in a realist world, but I don't know. Um, well, look, this is going to be more, this is going to be more relevant when we're dealing in, in greater specifics. So let's, let's table that conversation, but, uh, I think I see your point of view. Um, so, uh, I'm going to skip this thing on our notes here about defaults. Um, yeah, I think we can skip that. Uh, I think, and in fact, let's save this for next episode too. Yeah, yeah. Um, all right. So what I, the last thing I want to talk about is this, something that we've been hung up on. Um, and I have some opinions about now, which is just like, just dealing with interworld communication, right? Can I, can people message each other across worlds? Right. Um, yeah. And if so, what is the sort of interface or setup by which that works? Because that's something that, again, we want to be careful about building in too much um, constellation wide infrastructure. Yeah. Like a constellation wide, uh, you know, email service doesn't feel right to me. Um, and, you know, this also ties into what we were sort of getting at earlier with the money world and like having an automated process like can i just message the money world and then have it uh transfer money to your account and th- and then have it ping back to me like it was transferred um right and what yeah just what does it mean to message the money world like what does that even mean cuz i mean i understand messaging a person but messaging a world i i don't sound strange to me <laughs> Well, um, messaging a world is actually what I think it should be. Because so, I mean, well, explain, and here's to me, the, explain to me why, because I think I don't know what your theory is here. Well, because we've said several times now that, or we've proposed several times, this idea that you know, the main entity in this world is worlds. Sorry, that sounded a bad. That sounded bad. Uh, the main entity in the constellation, like that, is recognized, is a world, right? Right. And users are a subset of worlds right like users only exist in worlds they never there's no like floating user that's not in a world right right so i think and to me there's something that works about that that makes sense um that gets us some like i think really sticking to that like creates some clarity um and so in that sense i cannot message ted right i can only message like ted at some world right Right, which is just how email works too. The world is like the server, the user's like the username. Right, right, exactly. But because worlds here, I mean, yeah, I, I guess it is a lot like now. So, like, what I'm basically saying is if I, let's say I want to message you and I don't know where you are, right? Mm hmm. Um, well, then the logical thing is since you have a home world, if I know your home world, right? Like if I, you know, know the address of it, which we've already talked about how worlds can be listed or not, mm-hmm. right? Um, if you've listed it or or if it's not listed, but you told me where it is, then the logical thing is for me to message Ted at your homework, right? Right. Um, and then when it, and, and we talked about this uh, uh, offline, but like when a message comes into a world, 
it's like handled by the world, right? However, the admin of that world wants it to be handled. So it gets like skinned. Like we talked about the idea, like maybe in like, you know, the medieval world or something, you know, like a, like a pigeon shows up carrying a scroll or something and like drops it in your hands. Right. Right. And that's, that's what it looks like to give a message. Um, to someone inside of a world. And obviously if it's your home world, it might be, you know, just uh, like a giant uh, monitor in your like, you know. Well, you could totally hump- set it up. It could be whatever you, it would match your it could, theme or it whatever. It could be whatever you want. Right. Yeah, exactly. Right. Um, but also, you know, you could in, you know, uh, hyper-religious, like, you know, Amish world, you know, maybe, uh, they, maybe they can't even receive messages, right? Or, or they use Pony Express, and it takes the amount of time it takes a horse to literally, yeah, if, gallop if across they, the world or something. If they want to receive outside messages, yeah, maybe it's like slow and it's Pony Express. Or yeah. if they don't even want to receive outside messages, they can just bounce it, you know? Sure. Um, and it doesn't get through at all. So you could have a situation where someone is unreachable because they're in a world that's not passing the messages, depending on what contract they signed. I think mm-hmm. it would be a pretty standard contract that you could receive any message aimed at you um, in sort of a, you know, world well, who appropriate. Who is this a contract between? So if it's I go... setting of the world? Is that what you mean? That the well, no, when I, when, I, when I enter uh, theme park world, yeah, I sign a contract with them that includes maybe like a standard clause... That says, like, if I get any messages sent to my name at Theme Park World, um, pass them to you. You're not going to intercept them. I'm going to receive them. Right. And maybe they're going to be, like, branded with, like, your theming uh, in some fashion. Or maybe it's just going to use a standard, like, NI, you know, pop up view or something. But, uh, you know, normally, like, I want to be able to receive messages if i'm going to some random world right i don't want so them whatever world them. you're in would probably usually offer you the option of receiving messages at that world while you're there basically I, right yes i think so but it might not for a variety of reasons it I mean, might maybe... not if it's for some reason but that would be like the standard norm you'd expect to be able to get messages most places and it'd be sort of surprising if you went somewhere that was like no messages are allowed here or something like that although one reason it might not is um you know, for the same reason, like if you're, you know, no cell phones in the movie theater, right? Or no cell phones at the gaming table, right? Like, mm-hmm. like, cause people might, if you're doing, um, sort of, sort of like social, deeply interactive experience, sure. right? Uh, may, maybe it's the world's policy to be like, well, no, we're not going to deliver messages. We want your full attention, right? You're here to be immersed, right? right? So that, that would be another reason. Um, but I don't know that that would be typical or not. I guess that that's a cultural question. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think that we can achieve everything that's sort of like email, basically, with this, but with these caveats that you can be unreachable, like depending on where you are. And I think the the, the remaining question has to do with like this idea of like automated processes that can happen in a world when you're not there. And I think that has to kind of be the case, right? Because... I mean, the worlds persist, right? Like, if no one's in a world... Oh, yeah, it definitely has to be possible to, at the very least, execute terms of contracts when you're not present in a world, right? I mean, that's got to yeah. be, be part of it. And then we can decide whether you, want, whether you can have more fine-grained control over, like, AI beings in the world. Maybe that's too complicated. 
but it, at the very least, you have to be able to like sign a contract somewhere and then leave that world, and the contract is still in place and it's still. But time doesn't stuff. like freeze if I'm not there, right? Like if I set up a world like yeah. when I create a bunch of like weird creatures in it, yeah. Uh, then I leave like, and I come back. It's not like pausing and unpausing a game unless I want it to be right. Well, like they, right. Those... It could be if you if there's no other humans on that world and you decide and you're the admin of the world, you could pause the world. But but there would be no. It's not like it's um, saving resources, you know? It's not going to pause it because you're not looking at it. Um, it's going to keep running, yeah. It's just going to run it, it at a like a low resolution until you look at it, and then it'll, you know, uh, kick up the resolution to... Yeah, there doesn't need pictures. to be a witness there. Yeah. yeah. Right. So I think that um, since I'm the admin of my own home world, right, mm -hmm. then when you message me there, right, because that's the logical place to message me... Right. And I handle how that gets skinned and processed, right? Right. It can be forwarded to wherever you are. I can forward it. I can yeah. forward it to wherever I am as long as I've told it where I am, which I would maybe do. Although, again, maybe I don't forward it because I don't want to hear from you, right? I mean, maybe you're not on my... Well, you can have uh, your filters set up and, yeah. you know, it's like, like, uh, you, like you would with an email system now. So all of that makes sense to me, but I have a couple of questions because, all right, first off, this is a constellation level architecture then. This is a, a send mail system with a delivery subsystem that's operating between the worlds at the simulation level. That's right. Yes. So one world can send bits to another world that then chooses how to treat them, but right. does. But there's a pipeline. But for the sure. but the internode thing, the thing that goes from world to world, is is a is a send mail system not that different from our existing email system. It's it's pretty different from say um, Facebook chat. Uh, where everybody has to be on the same server or it doesn't work, right? Um, but it's pretty similar to Star Network or like to uh, whatever you call it, point network style um, mail systems, like the one that the world uses for email. Yes. Um, you know, I'm okay with that. I think communication is such a fundamental thing that we can have a communication system that's set up at that level, but it's... I'm just pointing out that this is not something hu humans built then. This is something that was like included. And well, I think they're skinning everything on both sides and they're setting up the forwarders. Like that's none of that stuff's built in. Right. So but the it's basic literally send just mail a protocol, neutral which is pipeline. what I'm talking about. Yeah. yeah. It, which is like figuring out how to address the different worlds as sort of servers and figuring out how to do the handshakes. Right. So that the but we already had addresses. So. That's right, right, right. And we already yeah. had the list, which is already some, yeah. some, you know, you can list yourself or not, and then there's a searchable list. So that's already some infrastructure. I'm not saying we can't have any, but... You, but you know. can only list worlds. You can't list people, right? That's that's the thing is the ar this architecture only recognizes worlds. Yes. And then it's within a kind worlds... Of, it's a kind of internet like, protocol for the worlds. It's a kind of like... Yeah. It gives a name and a location to each world and allows them to be addressed by each other. That's right. And so that's a pretty basic low-level protocol, but it is a protocol that is built into the constellation. And um, and then the second thing about it is that, you know, the way that email works in uh, the real world, and that I would imagine this would apply here, is that there are limits in the protocol um, regarding data. And I think the the two biggest limits I'm concerned about are data transfer speed and total data size, um, which is to say, what how much can you send in a message and how fast? Well, here's my 
Here's my answer to that. Mm-hmm. Um, because we already know uh, that there's got to be some... Let's just focus on an isolated world that's not connected up to anything yet. Mm-hmm. Inside an isolated world that I'm building, we know that there are limits, right? We determine that because I can't just build like a super computer inside a world that's like, you know, simulates a constellation inside the constellation, right? I mean, we decided that that... Well, we decided that specifically computation has to be limited such that uh, you're not simulating computers, you're directly accessing some portion of the available compute power in the simulation and that portion is limited it is a hard limit to it like you you know i don't know what it is but you're not allowed to do more computing than x amount full stop because yeah, otherwise, so otherwise we go down a rabbit hole of endless simulations inside simulations that just doesn't isn't interesting but but kind of gets us mired that's right and i think it makes sense that the the simulators don't want that either right that they they, right. they, they don't that they don't want their software entities like you know draining all their resources. Uh, right, right. They don't want reflexivity. Uh, they that's not helpful to them, or, or recursivity rather. They don't want you know they don't need a Matroska doll of simulation and simulations. So they're going to allow access to a certain amount of compute power, but they're going to they know how much it takes to simulate, and they're going to limit it so it's less than that at least. I mean, maybe quite a lot less than that. Yeah. So. Those limits, we need to, you know, you, you sort of sketch them out, but like we need to figure them out in more detail. But I mm -hmm. feel like if you've got data... Now, again, I, yeah, it's not clear what those limits are, but once you have data entering a world, whether it's, no matter what its source is, right? Maybe it's coming from another world in this case of this, like, sort of email protocol, right? Mm -hmm. um, then it's, you know, it's adding to that world's budget of complexity computation whatever the limit is right sort of automatically so i just I, I guess i feel like this issue of limits on on data transfer can kind of be subsumed by the limits we already have within single worlds I, maybe i'm missing something but that doesn't seem right to me so imagine that i have one world and i've maxed out its computing power I'm getting all the computing power that the simulation will allow me on that world. Right? Okay. Um, are you saying then that I can't receive any messages because every message Maybe. I takes... mean, we don't know what the fail state is when you hit the limit. So whatever happens when I'm you hit the limit... I'm not that worried about that. That's, uh, that's separate from what I'm worried about. So, um... But you'd hit the limit and then the fail state would be triggered, whatever that is. I guess... Maybe... I mean, maybe I'm being too literal here, but I guess I'm thinking of like two separate things one of which is like data throughput um which is the this you know uh, the factors are like the speed of your network the speed of your storage um the the size of total size of your storage and uh i guess those are the three things and then separately there's compute power which is just cycles like just your cpu like how many cycles can you run before they say, okay, that's all the cycles you get. Your 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 next task is just gonna have to wait. Um, and what what it seems like you can do to me is like if if each world gets you know one CPU's worth of you know let's say there's um, fifty trillion CPUs inside this simulator and each world gets one CPU's worth of you know draw before it gets cut off, and then you can open an unlimited high speed portal between two worlds, then you should be able to network them together 
into a two CPU powerful uh, s- computer. And then you should be able to keep doing that and keep doing that until you are draining um, significant resources. Yeah, I get that. And I'm thinking that that would be that would be blocked, but it would be blocked on the level of like the system is smart enough to know that you've just created a two CPU computer, right? It's the it's it's it seems like to me the only way you can block that is because you do want communication between two worlds. So you do want to be able to create two CPU computers and even 10 million CPU computers. Um, but the way you would block it is with a universal speed limit on the network. So if you can only send data at X speed or you can only send X amount of data, I think either one probably will sort of have the same effect or similar effect, uh, then you would be effectively stopped from making a supercomputer out of multiple worlds, um, but you would still be able to um, send data from world to world. But if, without a limit of either total amount or rate, it's I, I don't see how what what intelligence is going to know that that's what you're doing and not just a lot of communication. Uh, well, somehow there's intelligence that knows like that, that you're building a computer in one world, right? So I don't know why it couldn't know that it, you're you've built a two world computer. Well, sure. Com- um, bu- building access to computing is something that people would do in every world or in many worlds. Um, and of course it would know, you know, because it's out, it's, it's, it's making that computing power available to you. So of course it knows what you are, um, what you are computing. Uh, uh, but I, I still, I'm, I'm still not really clear on how, how would it know that what you're doing is, making a supercomputer rather than just having a big internet. I mean, what, how would that look different from the outside? It seems like it would be the same and just be like a lot of high frequency network traffic between worlds that have computers in them. But that would, it seems like that. Would be I common. mean, I imagine it would have some telltale signs that like, you know, some very advanced creator of the simulation would be able to pick up on. Uh, maybe, I mean, maybe it, I mean, we could do it your way too. We could do the, um, the, the the limit on on the data itself I mean I think that also gets the job done well I mean um, look I I can see the negative aspect of having a, a data transfer limit which is it's um we're just trying to avoid these kind of hard limits where we can um but I I'm having a hard time conceptualizing how it works without it I guess um so try to walk, walk me through it again maybe I'm just missing something so Let's say I want to trick the system and I want to build a supercomputer and I want to make it look just like things other people are doing. So I make a bunch of worlds that all have computers on them and I use high-speed communication to parallelize the tasks. Right. What is it that I'm doing that's going to give me a way to the system, I guess, in your mind? Um, I mean, I guess it would ultimately be, right, it would be the, the exchange of information, right? But, and again, I guess it would just be like the, the sheer quantity of it, I guess. I mean, I guess it sort of ends up in the same place, right? 
That's where my mind keeps going. I mean, I, I'm open. To but I guess one way it could answer, work is like if there's a big enough, like if there's that much data traveling between two worlds, which I think would be pretty unusual. Yeah. If what's normally happening is people are just sending messages to each other, right? And then all of a sudden, like there's this like you know, gushing like river flow like between two worlds, right? I think that would make the system pay attention. And then at that point, it might say, like, all right, this link between two worlds is now big enough that, like, for in purposes of counting compute, so we're going to treat these two worlds as, like, drawing on the same limit. Yeah, that feels... Um, but, I mean, I, I don't know how much this too. matters. I mean, I, I don't know if this affects our story that much, so I'm kind of, like... I think it like, matters, and, I, you know, look... Uh, uh, I think we want to have something that doesn't feel like just a hand wave. We don't want to just say you can't communicate because it's easier. But I, I also think like when you've got a world where data is um, everything, then an unlimited data portal between worlds, I mean, we're talking about the computing example, but that's not the only... Um, example i mean the the users themselves are data everything in this is data if it can be you know turned into messages and sent throughout the system uh there's i feel like there's knock-on effects of that um so yeah i don't know i mean this is a big i think this is a big decision that the designers of the simulation are making about how connected they want their world to be or their there's their I mean look I I'm I'm willing to buy that this there's just a limit on on how much you can send or how fast I mean like uh -huh. I, I mean I'm not really I don't really have a problem with that I guess I was just thinking that um if the primary problem is preventing people from building a supercomputer then I think like the numerical limit could be a single numerical limit, right? And it just like, you know, sending too much data triggers it to treat multiple worlds as if they're one world. Uh, but I, I also would buy that if there's other going to be other yet other issues aside from that with sending lots of data that we just have a limit on it. It is a pretty fundamental um, thing, um, you know, and the limit could be well above. What yeah, I guess the question is a philosophical one, which is like how much data communication does it take before you're effectively the same world? <laughs> right. Right. I mean, and I guess that's, I guess that's a, that's a, that's a numerical limit either way. So I guess, you know, what I'm proposing or you're proposing end up kind of in the same place where there's just like, there is some, whether it triggers, you know, it to pay attention, you know, which is what I'm saying or whether it just like is a hard cap. Uh, it's the same thing, right? There's some, there's some threshold of communication between worlds. That's like, red flag world, uh, red, red flag territory. Um, so I don't know, I guess we need that then. Um, yeah, I think we have to keep thinking about this because, um, I would love to come up with something that is really elegant and can sit at like a kind of high level that could tell you this, you know, um, so that we don't have to be monitoring the literal pipe size or, or speed of communication in order to, um, have meaningful limits on interworld communication. Um, uh, yeah.
Yeah, it's an interesting question. I, I, I feel like we don't quite have the, the elegant answer that I'm hoping for yet, but I think we're closer. Well, you could, you could address it from the point of view of like what kinds of things can you even send, right? So I'm a person. Right. Uh, obviously, I can send text. Obviously, I can send audio. Presumably, I can send video. Maybe I can send things from my memory log, which is something we haven't talked about yet, really. But um, right. We, I think uh, we've imagined that you know people maybe have recorded memories in this world. Right. Um. So it, it, you know what resolution are those at? Do those just play back like videos, or are those like you know strange days style? Like you know you you live it. Uh, when you send someone, well, you that certainly message. could have five cents recording at least in a simulation, right? So, I mean, you could play back smells and uh, tastes at least. Right. Um, um, I, I don't. They might be more like a video of a smell and less like fully immersive, like strange days. Uh, depending on that, feels maybe more like a cultural question. But, now there's a yeah, uh, but yeah, I mean, yeah, I definitely think there's. And all of this can be done inside a world, of course, right? Because, I mean, data transfer is just not really an issue inside a world. Um, the question is, what can you send from one world to another? And, you know, maybe the limits have to do with time, right? Because... Yeah, well, that's rate. I mean, transfer rate has to do with time. Yeah, but maybe there's like a fundamental, like, physical rules of time in this world that, like, that, that solve our problem in a more, like, global, elegant fashion, right? Because, like... Can you can like you run a world that? Like, what is the max data rate of like the universe? Is that sort of the question? Or what is the standard clock rate of everything? Because like, can you run a world <laughs> at a super speed? Right? Like, can you have a a world that runs extra fast? Like, uh, you know, like, you know, can I can I run a world at at ten x speed? That's fascinating. Um, I mean, obviously, in like Hansen's stuff, he talks about the various M's being run at different speeds. Uh, but I guess the question would be, yeah, can you have different apparent speeds within the constellation? I guess the worlds could run at different speeds because I could have a world where just like everything moves really fast. But yeah. can you? But but I may. I'm thinking you can't run mines, which I think is what we should call users, by the way, because I think it's a, like sort of a better term. Uh, like I think you can't run mines at 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 different rates, probably right. Other because like we're generally saying, well, you can. Well, it, I mean, you can, but if different minds are not at the same rate as each other, they can't really interact, right? I mean, well, this, that's discussed I, in the Hansen thing, right? Like, y you would... You, well, I know you, you can in the sense that, like, you... you like, technically, I, I think it could be done. I, I think we decided... I don't know. Various decisions that we've made, like the fact that you can't, like, hack your own happiness or uh, infinitely clone yourself, right? Right. Uh, uh, make me feel like uh, you probably also can't run yourself at 10x speed. But I, I mean, but th that is a decision we could make differently. Right. I think, yeah, at, at most you might be able to affect your own perception of time. Like if I wanted to take 100 years off to just sort of see how things are going to go, I could make that feel like one day to me while I hang out on my home world for 100 years, maybe. And then I could kind of see that being like a thing you might want to do. Um, and then, but it seems like there is a constellation wide clock rate that is standardized and provided to everyone as like a base sync rate 
or whatever. Um, so if I'm a mind and I'm sending another mind a five sensory experience, yeah. right? And we are like stuck at the same time, right? Right. Sure. And this is a streaming transfer, right? Sure. Then the limit is just like how much can a mind experience per second, right? I mean, there is a built-in limit there, kind of. Well, in that case, the the limit is from the emitting source, like you're saying. So it's like, right, whatever the and mind... And the receiving source, right? Can, because if... Well, the receiving source isn't going to get anything more than the, the emitting... The, the limit's at the emitting source, because that's setting the limit. And then the receiving source also has a limit but it's not going to be exceeded i mean if i wanted right? to create a like like as much data transfer between two worlds as possible uh -huh. right i have source world which i'm in by myself okay then i have receiver world which i pack with as many people as i can persuade to sit there okay and then i send them all you know like max sensory experience uh right like you know like in real time right and let's say there's like 200 people in that world, right? Then 200 people are experiencing 200 copies of what one person can experience. And like, that's, I mean, how do I get more than that? Well, if, um, it's, all, if it's all 200 copies of the same thing, then no, then just one copy of it is going to your world. It's getting copied at your world where there's no limit and, and distributed to everybody who's in that world. Right. Sure, but let's say they're all different. So let's say I'm sending say, everybody right, a different memory from my past. With as many people as possible, and you no, send... no, no, no. One one person sending uh, all of their like different memories to every different receiver. Right. Like I don't have to send the same email to everyone. I can send everyone. Okay. A different so you're email. sending different information as fast as you can, and then that's getting. Which they can't experience it faster than they can just experience it, right? If it's again, if there's this universal clock speed. Well, assuming that there's no buffering going on and stuff, right? So there. Let's assume no buffering because you know that's simpler, right? And I think that makes, right, you know. So yeah, so it's just a stream of data in that place. So that seems like it's not nearly the limit of how much data you could get between two worlds, though. If you just hook right. two so computers it, to I, each other, you know. You, right, but I mean, the only way to to accomplish more would be to persuade even more people to go into that world. So if I mm. wanted to like break what? this no. system, why? I mean, the only way to, I mean, what do you mean by accomplish more? I mean, I, you could you could definitely transfer way more data than the data represented by your real time experience uh, to two hundred or two thousand or two million people. I mean, why is that a limit? It doesn't make any sense. You could just have an arbitrarily large amount of data being pumped out of a computer and pumped into a computer, and it doesn't have to be limited by what people can experience at all. But I'm saying if we do make it limited by what people can experience, then that gives us a sort of elegant limit that's based in consciousness, right? So like it doesn't. Do so then, how does that? How does if you're that, not experiencing it, it doesn't exist. You don't actually have the data. So then, how does that? Um, so then, there is no computing in this universe. Of any kind. What do you mean there's no computing? Well, like, you have no... as The minds have no access to in-world computing. Because I uh, would just get around this by setting up a computer, and then I would send all the data from a computer to another computer, and it would totally get around the limit of what users can experience, because no users would experience any Right, but you can't... There's no email between computers that are in one world to another world's computer. Right, that doesn't exist. So there's, there's only... no way to connect 
a computer in one world to a computer in another world at all? Well, not if everything is from, you know, John at uh, Medieval World uh, to Ted at, uh, you know, Sci-Fi World. So there's no way to script my computer to have it address things that way and then script my other computer on the other thing to pick up any messages that are... I guess you could script me, the sending, right? The because we have you could script the sending because we have forwarding, yep. but it doesn't get received if it's not sent to a oh, user I, at a world. Well, uh, let's say I send it to my own user at my home world, and then I set up a a filter there to grab all emails and scan them into my giant computer. But no one's ex like where like that could just be pointers to the data that's stored somewhere else, right? Like, and it's it's not actually like. The data doesn't exist in that world until I go home and actually open the, that hard drive and, like, watch something. I guess that's what I'm saying. I guess I'm saying that's, like, all that's being sent. Like, if I'm sending memories or, or recorded experiences or whatever, I'm not actually sending them. I'm just sending pointers. And then until someone actually... That's what I'm saying. I'm thinking until you actually experience it, it's not being rendered. It's like, it's, it's like it doesn't exist except in its original source location so that brings me back to there's no access to computing because well like what's happening if i set it up to receive all the emails and the emails are just zeros and ones and i set it up to scan the zeros and ones in and then instantiate them as binary files on my computer and then run them uh, can't all that happen without my active uh experiencing of anything well I mean, what, it, it maybe not. I mean, like, it depends. Well, why not? What is the thing that it, that the world is detecting that's not allowed? Or how, how is that breaking? I don't understand. Mm, I guess, like, I, I guess I'm not quite sure I understand the question. Like, so... So I'm um, just saying, if the data limit is to what human beings can experience, and it is possible to set up automated message sending yeah the automated thing is where this gets tricky for then sure. you still can basically get completely around the limit and do whatever computing you want including building a supercomputer out of networked computing nodes in various worlds because i, I don't guess see how the experience of it limits anything since you can set it up to receive your messages transfer your messages into a computer and then that computer can access computing. I guess because it, it's not receiving. I, I guess what's not happening happening is the data is not being copied. Um, so it's not. I guess. I guess it'd be like, what could it do? How is the data not being copied if it's going from one server to another? I mean, we should just visualize each world as if it's a different server in Iraq. Right, so, right, because it could just be a pointer to where the actual data is, is what it's sending. That's what I'm talking about. Yeah, it's sending a pointer to where the data is, but then I have an AI on my world that fo follows the pointer, gets the data, and puts it into my computer. <laughs> okay, and uh, that just that's just still the pointer. It's still just a pointer until someone looks at it, is what I'm saying. <laughs> like, it doesn't have any... So then there's no limit to computing at all in the world, and we are building supercomputers, and they only become supercomputers when you look at the result. Except you can't, like... And when you look at the result, all of those pointers have already been shifted around at zero data cost to you, and then the compu computation happens, I guess, at that moment.
Well, what? <clears throat> so, is the computation? Are you? Is this? Is this destination computer doing some operations to the data? Other than just like forwarding. I mean, forwarding is an operation, so I mean, doesn't matter to me. But forwarding, you can just forward a pointer, right? If you want to, you if you want to do something more complex, then you have to, you do have to follow the pointer to the actual data. So I guess right. You uh, if the only operation useful work, you'd eventually want to make some kind of transformation on the data. Right. So if you are, if you can do have an automated process that's like receiving data and doing complex transformations to it, then yes, this doesn't solve anything. But I guess I'm not sure we need that. Well, the automated process is just throwing the data into the computer. The computer is doing anything complex, but that just works the way a regular computer does. So you've built a computer. The uh, world has been assigned, you know, one petaflop or whatever, because uh, that's how much each world gets assigned. And you can do computations with by writing code and running it with the various data that are coming in. Um, so it seems like that's fairly straightforward. You can spend some time writing some code, and then you can leave the world, and the computer will still work, just like we would expect in the real world. Um, but I guess I'm having a trouble figuring out where the actual limit is here if that's the way we do it. And look, maybe we want it to... Maybe we want you to be able to build supercomputers in this world. Maybe I'm trying too hard to keep us from doing that. And maybe it's just that like there is a limit to total cycles uh, and that the entire constellation has access to. And it's a low enough limit that um, no one ever manages to build a whole functioning realistic simulation in there. Uh, and maybe that's fine. Maybe that's enough. But... I don't know. I'm looking for something more elegant. I guess I, I, I'm, hope, I'm hoping we can find a, a rule that will allow basic, reasonable communication between worlds, but not allow you to, like, I guess wholesale copy giant parts of worlds into other worlds. I guess what I was imagining uh, is that because the it protocol messy. doesn't allow... It allows for... Maybe it does allow for forwarding as sort of like a built-in feature, but it doesn't like, you can't, you can't like receive data and do automated operations to it. Um, I guess that would make the money, would that make the money world impossible? Well, no, you could, you could still just go to the money world. You, it would make you physically have to be present in the money world for every transaction, which I still think is okay. I think there's, I mean, since it's only a few seconds and the money world would have like a very open contract and stuff, I think it would be okay for that to be how that works. Yeah. Um, so, I, so I guess that, that yes, I guess that's what I'm saying. So, if all you can do in receiving a message is like either forward it to another world, or un or play it back for a mind, right? Then I think that gives you some limits. Well, that gives you a lot of limits. I mean, I. That gives you a lot of limits in the sense that that gives you far more limits than email does now, you know, like, correct. You know, so that's a big, again, that's a big choice. I, I, I don't know. I, I, I guess I'm reluctant to, to settle on that at this moment. I think I want to keep thinking about it because, um, I feel like there is a more elegant solution out there that I haven't thought of. Um, I guess I like the idea of tying it though to, 
something more fundamental, which is why I was sort of trying to explore with that, though, was like, you know, it's, it's, <laughs> it's the speed of human experience that sort of is the limit, right? But I, you know, maybe that doesn't work. Or, you know, we can go back to just the idea of just having a, a data limit that's just a number, right? Um, yeah, I'm just trying to imagine... I, I don't know. I guess to me, the whole speed of human experience thing kind of collapses and doesn't really work when you start to think about what it just has to, you have to completely disallow all, um, all automation of data, um, processing. And that just seems like we but don't want to do that. But not within a world, right? No, you can only do interworld. tons yeah, of yeah. This is automated interworld. But yeah, I don't yeah. know that we wanted that anyways, right? I don't think that that was, that was never... I, I don't know. That was never my goal with having an interworld communication system. I mean, I think we needed some sort of way to communicate interworld so people can meet up, right? And and characters can have. I almost I almost feel like the more we talk about this, more I f I'm leaning toward maybe there should be literally no interworld communication, and that meeting up should also just be something else that's arranged through another world. That there's like a you know a meetup world where you communicate you go to places you leave messages for people they can receive the messages when they get to the world people check into this world several times a day and it's just built on top of everything well that's a strong choice i mean as in like it's a committed choice and i'm not necessarily I, i'm actually finding that opposed to that less hard to understand as we're talking about it and that wasn't what i was thinking going in so i, I don't have like a dog in the fight so much but i surprisingly i'm finding myself Maybe just more, finding that more appealing. And like, there's something, you know, there's something weird about the world's being isolated, but there's also something kind of world-like about that, you know, like planets or worlds or, you know, they they seem like they're these isolated. Um, yeah, it puts, it puts more, uh, you know, metaphorical distance between them. Right. I mean, you know, it makes me envision them more, you know, spaced out like like planets. Yeah. Right. Right. And maybe, yeah, there's, maybe this is just a visualization thing. Maybe I'm visualizing them sort of little prints, like, you know, kind of like these little planets in a, in a, in a star field, um, uh, that are, you know, you can, you can teleport between one and the next, but they're not like n right next to each other in a neighborhood. They're like sort of each one's its own kind of Island or whatever. And, well, uh, what's, we I mean, yeah. <laughs> Something that's weird about this that uh, would uh, would follow, right, is that people that are committed to one world, you know, that sort of isolate themselves in a single world, um, you know, if that is 2020 world, then with if, if all you do is hang out in that world with your friends, then it's going to be just as hyper-connected as now is, right? I mean, with, you know, push notifications and always sure. on cell phones and all that stuff, right? Sure, yeah. Um, uh, Whereas if you're sort of like the world hopping cosmopolitan person that like, you know, goes around trading like tips and keys and like visits the money world market place and like tries to play these status games, then that person who's constantly shifting worlds is living in a world that's more like, you know, the the early 90s or something where it's like, let's plan to meet up in front of the mall at 4 p.m., you know? And like yeah, you show it's like up the world of Star Trek: The Next Generation, where they're like going from planet to planet, and they can't talk to like the previous planet because it's too far away or something. Yeah, it's a little bit. It's like part space opera, but it's not like quite as like you know. It, it, I mean, 
And not it's exactly, li- but there's some analogy there. Is all I'm saying. But I think I don't it's a little bit that too far. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. It's it, it's a little bit like the space opera thing, but it's like you don't have to because they're not literally far apart. I think it's a little just more like pre cell phone days where there's a little more friction to trying to meet up, right? right. You gotta like pre and like you have answering machines that you gotta check, you know, and it's like right. everything is just there's a little things slower. like that where like yeah, you're popping into like some message world, you know as often as you're checking your notifications on your phone. And then like in that world, you, you find out, Oh, your friend texted you an hour ago and said, I'm going to be late or something. Um, so I don't think it's like quite as different, but yeah, the lived experience of it might be a little bit less annoying if you're not literally getting like notifications (laughs) all the time. Um, but you also might miss critical communications sometimes, which actually, you know, might not be that realistic, but it's good for drama. <laughs> but it, but I mean, it just really, I mean, it, I don't know. This feels like my childhood to me, right? Like this right. feels like right. a world with phones and answering machines and, right. you know, slow desktop PCs and stuff where, you know, you're going to get a message, but right. it's not, it's not always on. Right. Well, and um, that's one of the reasons to be in the same world with someone. It's like, it's a little bit of a, an incentive to be in the same world with the people you care about the most because they're just much more accessible to you there. And, um, even in, because these worlds are magic, even a world that doesn't have cell phones might still have like magic pigeons that very effectively deliver messages in world, right? Like you'll still have communication. It's just going to be more in world than interworld if we make it this way. Um, which would be also a reason for people to spend more time in more populated worlds uh, versus. So to game this out, it, being it, more... now if I want to get a message to you, yeah, I don't send a message to your home world. I teleport to the lobby of your home world, which I have permission to access. Yeah, uh, and I leave you a note there. Yes, yeah, that's one thing that you could do. Or there could be a message there that says, um, "I'm on this world. If you want to talk to me, go to that world and send me a message." Or there could, right in the lobby, there could be a big uh, right. video uh, screen that's that's an, constantly an like yeah playing yeah yeah uh, or it could be a recording of me. You know, you could say, "Hi, John. This isn't really Ted. Uh, this is my recording, and uh, I've gone to to Wing World, so I'm going flying. So uh, uh, go to Wing World and send yeah, me." Yeah, it really just feels like the early '90s to me. Right? I mean, which is funny. I mean, and you then know. once you and then you go, oh, and then you just pop to Wing World, and then now you can send an email and there's no problem, but you also don't have the issue of like being able to take all the data out of one world, compress it into an email and send it to another world and have like a simulation of that world running in the other world or something, which I don't know. There's just something about having like, um, unfettered data pipes between the worlds that, that strikes me as just dangerous conceptually like we're just going to get ourselves into troubles we can't get ourselves out of no and there's something funny to me about the fact that like yeah the again the world hopping people are are living in this like sort of slightly archaic speed of communication (laughs) that we've already moved beyond yeah whereas like the people that are like sort of withdrawn and like you know more rural in some sense are like actually living more like today Right, um, right, right. We're like, yeah, we think of rural as being less communication and city as being more. Although today, rural and city both have the same amount of communication, actually, because so much of it is digital. Um, true. At so this point, I, it's it's hardly it, different. But It's hardly different. And, you know, the, the, the slightly larger number of people I see when I w- leave my house is probably not marginal. You know, it's probably 
very marginal difference um, uh, because probably everybody is doing most of their communicating online. Um, but yeah, I think that's cool that like older worlds, I mean, very old worlds might have no email and have Pony Express, right? So they might be even less communication, but worlds that are like set to be kind of 2020s or sort of, you know, modern era um, might be more communication dense than the people who are, you know, out there exploring space. Although I also think there'll be crowded futuristic worlds on which there's even more um, density of communication in world, you know, so, and there'll be a lot of people living in there too. So I think there'll be a, a wide range of, of communication types. All right. Well, let's sit, let's sit on that question because yeah. I think that we'll have to come back I mean, to next time. It's really interesting. I think it's really actually a fundamental question because it really does determine the, the, the dynamics between the worlds and how they influence each other and how they, um, share ideas and stuff like that in a, in a big way. Yes. This would be a big difference than, than, than what I was initially talking about. I think, I mean, I think we agree there has to be limits, but yeah, this is a very different kind of limit for sure. So let's sign off there. And next time we will follow up on this and we'll also uh, probably have watched, uh, more devs by that time. So we'll discuss that as well. I will at least have finished the first episode because I'm going to go do that now. All right. Thanks for listening to us. We'll talk to you guys soon. This has been Constellation, Making the Graphic Novel. Our theme song is Pomona by Audios. To subscribe to this podcast, look us up on iTunes or your favorite podcatcher application. You can find us on Twitter or on the web at constellationpodcast.com. Thanks for listening.